What's up, Grizz Nation? Welcome to the show. We got the whole crew here today. It is David, Candace, Isaac. This is the Ethos Grizzlies podcast. Game one, game two recap. There's a lot to talk about. There, there's a lot of buzz going around today. I hate that there's so many days off because it just means we're going to have more days of the craziness. But I think one of the things that bothers me the most about all of this discord, all of the conversation, all the nastiness between the Twitter fan bases is the fact that there's not enough chat about how good these games have been. This has been, you know, game one, the Grizzlies had the ball, John Morant, ball in his hand, chance to win the game. He misses the layup. Game two goes down into the final seconds of the game. The Grizzlies end up pulling that out. Series is tied one-to-one. But instead of talking about the quality of basketball, the defense that the Grizzlies have been able to play, the game plan that the Warriors have against the, the Grizzlies, instead of all of that, we're hung up talking about a flagrant foul in game one, and then now a flagrant foul leading to a suspension in game two. And it's super disappointing as a basketball fan that that is where this has to go. Yeah, I mean, it's become super toxic. Uh, and it sucks because this is no question has been the best series of the NBA playoffs so far. I mean, it's been two games of, of great basketball. And here we are with the two fan bases on social media talking about fouls. Uh, the favorite foul with Draymond Green was thrown out in game one and comparing that to, to Dylan Brooks and people, some people saying it's worse. Some people saying it's not. And I, I look at them. I personally think Draymond's was more intentional. I, I don't think it was intentional on the part of Dylan Brooks, but we shouldn't be talking about that. I, I mean, this is the, the NBA playoffs. I just hate that it's turned into this talk about a narrative about these two fouls. And I think it's going to continue even now, now with Dylan Brooks suspended, because I think, Warriors fans now, if the Grizzlies go on to win this series, as crazy as it is, they're going to blame it. They're going to use an excuse of, oh, well, you took out Gary Payton and he couldn't play in this series. And he was the, quote, jaw stopper, even though Ja, I was at a 34-point triple-double in in game one when Gary Payton played 23 minutes, but they're still trying to sell their narrative. And I I just hate that this is what we're talking about uh, because this series is tied 1-1. And, I mean, two games coming up at the Chase Center in San Francisco, and I think this is going to be a tremendous series. I personally think it's going seven, and, and that's what we should be talking about, how, how great these two games have been, the adjustments that these two coaches are, are trying to make. It's like Steven Adams might be available for the Grizzlies on Saturday night. He practiced today. He's back with the guys. So it looks like he's going to make the trip. What, what What's that going to cause for this team? We'll talk about that later on. But, again, man, we're sitting here as both fan base, if you're on social media, it's been nuts over the last couple of days that it's all stems from the Draymond Green uh, flagrant two and the Dylan Brooks flagrant two in game two. And that's, like David said, not what we should be talking about right now. Yeah, it's definitely disappointing. It's disappointing as a basketball fan uh, because there is a lot of basketball to talk about between these two games. There's plenty of different uh, conversations of defenses of cover. I mean, the, the, the two great players, Steph versus Ja. I mean, there's so many incredible narratives just on the court. And it's a shame that that really for a lot of people, a lot of fans, it's not everybody, but for a lot of fans on both sides, the those those narratives have been swallowed up by the emotion and, and, and personalizing of it all. Um, and it's just unfortunate to see because it 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 really it's a sport. And so 
it should be about the sport. And that's, that's not necessarily what it is for, for most people, especially, you know, if you're on social media. I think one of the narratives that I definitely want to discuss here, and, and we can actually move into it right now, is the the two rookies in this series that are coming out and they're playing not necessarily huge minutes between the two. You know, Zaire came back. He played 28 minutes in game two. But Jonathan Kuminga is a guy who throughout this year has played very well for the Warriors. Both of these guys are playing productive minutes for their teams respectively. And I, I again, it, it's just kind of this is pushed to the side because of all the crap. How big was Zaire in game two? You know, Dylan goes out. He get he picks up that flagrant two two minutes and fifty two seconds into the game, and then you get DeAnthony Melton for twenty six minutes. Zaire Williams ends up playing twenty eight minutes, scores fourteen points. He's a plus eight on the night. Just great stuff. The experience that he got throughout the season, the Grizzlies riding with him, it's paying off, and it's paying off early for them. Yeah, Zaire has been huge. He, he's been he's been tremendous, it, particularly the timing with which he's been tremendous has been impressive. In the fourth quarter, he was the second leading scorer outside of Jai. Jai had 18 points in that in that fourth quarter, but Zaire had six. And those were six very much so needed buckets uh, for the Grizzlies at that point because the offense had just gone stagnant outside of John Morant. And so for, for him to be able to step up huge in the in the clutch I think is it just speaks volumes to his future and it and it shows the investment that this organization put in him and it were and the team is just seeing dividends the returns come quickly much quicker than I think any any one of us or anybody else for that matter imagine um Zaire was critical down the stretch and, and it wasn't just his offense I mean he had those six points those are two really important buckets for the team but his defense improved as he went throughout the as he went throughout the game and in his first quarter. It wasn't a good effort defensively. Steph Curry kind of had his way with them pretty much, but as the game continued, he sort of found his footing and his rhythm defensively and and gave Steph some some trouble. Um, Steph Steph had eight points in the end, but uh, I, I think that he made it tough on him. He made him work for it better than anybody else had really been able to up to that point. And so uh, the just huge minutes for Zaire can't stress enough um, how big of a how bright of a future he has for this team going forward. And I always go back to too early in the season when Taylor Jenkins and his staff just continued to instill confidence in him. When he was getting minutes, part of the rotation, probably when everybody outside of inside that locker room, Zaire, Taylor, and the guys were kind of scratching their heads like, why is this guy in the rotation? He's not ready to to be playing these type of minutes right now. And they stuck with him, uh, let him work through his struggles. Initially, he was basically just a spot-up corner three-point shooter. And, and that's kind of all you would see from him. And, and as the season went on, you just kind of saw his game expand. You saw his confidence get bigger and bigger. Um, and, and now you see the fan, like Candace said, tremendous dividends here in a playoff series. Like, who would have thought back in October that you would see him being a factor in, in a high-level playoff series, Grizz Warriors, two, three playoff series in the semifinals. Like, I don't think anybody would imagine that. Zaire might have not even been able to imagine that himself. Uh, but, I mean, he, he missed that time, and he, he kind of talked about watching from the sideline and the game kind of slowing down for him. And, and you can see it. I mean, his confidence is off the charts. I mean, he's taking those shots with confidence. Like, he's looking for that shot when, when he gets the ball. Uh, he's not timid at all, man. He was absolutely huge. They do not win. Uh, game two, if it wasn't for Zaire Williams. I mean, those back is four of eight from three, and almost every one of those threes came at a time where the offense was really stagnated. They couldn't get anything going. They need shots 
lot of some a couple of them at, at late the shot clock, and he knocked those shots down, and they really, really needed him. And, and you talk about his defense. I, I mean, you can see the flashes of he could be one of the best three and D guys in the league. I think the length, the athleticism, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and the three-point shooting. I mean, I, I think he's going to be a big-time, big-time player uh, for this team uh, because, I mean, I think the development that you've already seen, I don't think anybody expected this. So if he's developing this quickly, imagine what he's going to be like next year once he get a summer league. Like, kind of, I think he's going to be kind of on that trajectory we saw with Desmond Bain, uh, the way they kind of entrusted him as the leader of that summer league team, put him on the ball and, and kind of let him just go out there and do his thing. I think we're going to see that this summer uh, with, with Zion Williams. I think he's going to take even another big step next year. But, I mean, he's been fantastic. Uh, 14 points. Uh, we got grabbed five rebounds. Uh, five and nine from from the field and super efficient, a plus eight um, in 28 minutes, one of the highest plus minuses on the team. Uh, just a tremendous, tremendous job stepping in for for Dylan Brooks once he was ejected, and they're gonna need they're gonna need that uh, with Dylan Brooks suspended for game three. He's gonna have to come up big again, man. And I think I think he's up for the challenge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, if game two shows anything about what he's capable of, I think that there's no question that not only can he step in, but he can step in and be productive. In those minutes, one of the things that my son and I were talking about was his release. And I don't like, you know, you talked about those shots being late in the shot clock. He got those shots off quick. And that's, you know, the the mechanics are different between the two. And and please don't twist this to me saying that Zaire is going to be the level of shooter that Steph Curry is. I'm not implying that at all. But one of the reason that one of the reasons that Steph and and Clay Thompson are so deadly is from the time the ball hits their hand until they fire it off, it's it's fractions of a second. Like they're getting that ball out of their hand quick, and they're like Zaire knocked down four threes, and out of those four threes, I would say two or three of them, he he had to get rid of the ball very quick and knock them down. And it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch when they overhelp or not when they overhelp but when when they rush him too hard that he's attacking downhill he didn't really get to the rim and score any but he was not afraid to attack when they tried to close out too quick and that's just part of the growth that we've been able to see from him over the season um so i the dylan brooks mention right there is good because i want to what do you guys think we're going to see as far as a starting lineup moving into game three with dylan brooks being out do you think we see Zaire start? De'Anthony Melton has been effective in this series. He has played well. Uh, he didn't shoot the ball that well in game two. He was one for five from the field, one for four from three. But he's doing other, other stuff. Yeah. You know, we had Mr. Do Something was doing something. He blocked three shots. He had two steals. He had two assists, eight rebounds. He's been effective. It's like that there was a wall in that in the the Wolves series. And honestly, looking back, I think a lot of that had to do with the length. Uh, Melton just didn't have the length to really lock in against those bigger, like that bigger Warriors, our Wolves team. Who do you think we see as the starting five? And, you know, honestly, from game two, we may see two different starters because Steven Adams was back in practice today. And the Grizzlies have been out-rebounded in this series. The Grizzlies in game two, they were outscored 60 to 42 in the paint. And in game one, they were outscored 56 to 44. One of the things that the Grizzlies have done all season are a couple of things. 
scoring points in the paint. John Morant was one of the league. I think they, they end up leading the league in paint scoring. I know that he was. Yes. He was. I know he was. At, he was at one point. I, I don't know if he finished. I know he was number one at one point. I haven't checked it since the well, season ended. Well, I, I, I do believe he finished, and, and it was close. I think it was by like a fifth of a point or something like that. But I, I do believe he finished first in paint points. Okay, so you know, John Morant getting downhill, getting into the paint. They don't really have a rim protector per se, but the the Warriors have done a great job of kind of making the Grizzlies a jump shooting team. And so, what what is it? Candace, I'll throw it to you first. What do you think the starting lineup looks like for game three with the suspension for Brooks and the possibility of Big Kiwi being back? I think that uh, – I think you're right. I think we do see two changes in the starting lineup. I think with uh, Taylor Jenkins' uh, tendency to go ahead and start Xavier Tillman, despite the fact that he may not have – there's evidence, a lot of evidence to say that that wasn't the best decision. I think he's looking for that size, that just that traditional center – uh, so and I think he wants Xavier. Uh, I think he'll have Adams sort of take on that role, and so he'll start Stephen Adams. And I think just because whenever Dylan Brooks has been gone, uh, Zaire Williams has has stepped into that role, and I'm we'll I can we can get more detail on if, if those decisions are the right ones. But I think just based off of Taylor Jenkins' patterns, and sometimes he he just he doesn't change unless he's proven that unless it's been proven that he needs to change it i think he'll go ahead and do Zaire and Steven Adams and that lineup's played a lot of minutes together and so you get some continuity there um in a rough game on the road i think they'll take whatever momentum they can get and whatever familiarity they can get Jaron tends to play better in terms of fouling less when Adams is on the floor with the rebounding uh, disadvantage that the Grizzlies have had in the past couple of games and Zaire's development Coming off the coming off the bench uh, last game, I think those two things combined to have that be your starting lineup in Game Three. Yeah, I, I agree. And you, had, like you said, Stephen Adams was back at practice today, and, and Taylor Jenkins in his media availability said that he, that he looked good. Um, had him in the play groups, uh, as he calls it, hashtag play groups. Uh, said he's going to get him some more vitamins tomorrow. Hashtag vitamins. All this crazy, <laughs> crazy terms that Taylor Taylor Jenkins talk about. We, me and David are talking about it. I don't know if that's a boot noser thing or. What it is, but he's always talking about play groups, and they call like individual work. They call those vitamins. So he said he looked good. Uh, that and so I, I think you see him back in the starting lineup. I think you also see Zaire Williams uh, in, in place of Dylan Brooks. As Candace said, that's kind of what we've seen throughout the year when when Dylan Brooks has been out. But when you talk about about Stephen Adams, uh, a lot of people I've talked about that on Twitter, especially coming from the Warriors side, they kind of laughed that off and saying that there's no way that he can play in the series because of the drop coverage, the pick and roll, and he's going to get played off the floor. And I think there might be some situations uh, where 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 that makes it tough for him. And I think he's better than, than Jonas Valanciunas. It's not going to be like what we saw in Utah last year. But Golden State does not have a call Anthony Towns uh, that, that you have to guard. And I think everything that Steven Adams does outside of that, I think kind of negates it. I think in this series, you'll see him, the offensive rebounding, uh, it's been a big thing. And I think he helped clean that up some, I think, um, I said the offensive rebound and scoring in the paint. Uh, Golden State Warriors have been killing the Grizzlies in the paint, and both of those things are, are head scratching because you thought those were two advantages for the Grizzlies coming into the series. I definitely think he he shores some of that up. I mean, it won't be as easy scoring in paint. And you also talk about his screen setting for Ja. Uh, I think that really helps him and it helps the entire offense. And I think looking at the size that Golden State has, I even think Stephen Adams will be able to, to score uh, some in the paint. I mean, he's not a guy that's going to give you big time numbers, but with their lack of size inside, I think he, he'll have some scoring opportunities inside as well. So I think when you look at all of those things, and also Candace mentioned 
protecting Jared. Uh, Jared, I think Jared plays better and doesn't pick up as many fouls when he's next to Steven Adams. Uh, so I think it'll help in that vein as well. I, I just think all of those positives kind of make up for some of the stuff that you might see on the defensive end when he gets caught in the pick and roll. Uh, because, I mean, that that's going to happen. I mean, with those guards at, at times. But I just think the positive far outweigh the negatives. And I think I think he's going to be a plus for, for this team. I, I just think the offensive rebound and getting the points in the paint for the Warriors has kind of been what's kind of kept them in this game. So if the Grizzlies were rebounding the basketball like they normally did and, and outscoring them in the paint, I mean, this would be a, a runaway. There's no doubt the Grizzlies would be up 2-0 right now. Um, I mean, and Warriors can't keep on talking about the Warriors are not going to shoot 18% again. And you look at the series, the number one rebounding team in the NBA has been out-rebounded twice. Uh, been a team that scores a lot of points in the paint. It's been outscored in the paint twice. And that's something that I don't expect to continue. So, I mean, there's adjustment to be made on both sides. And I think, again, Stephen Adams coming back, I, I really feel like he's going to have a big-time impact. I know a lot of people – don't really feel like that, but I think we're going to find out. I think he's going to be in the starting lineup along with, with Zaire Wade. If he is serviceable on the defensive end, his his impact on the offensive end will be enough to carry him. He, he doesn't have to be spectacular. He doesn't have to be fantastic. He has to be serviceable. Just, you know, do the things that you're supposed to do on the defensive end. Also, ask for fouls. his, like – the, the the rebounding, if they run this the you know quote unquote death lineup where they're running Draymond at the five, Stephen Adams on the offensive end is going to destroy them. <laughs> he, yeah. it, it's the Warriors have been doing a great job at gang rebounding. Like when you look at these these rebounding numbers, the Warriors are sending three guys to crash the boards, and and, and I noticed that like game two, those guys like crash. You got three of them going to get it. They're going out there. They want to limit the second chance points. The difference is Xavier Tillman and Jaron Jackson Jr. are not Steven Adams. They're not. They don't have the same body type. They don't have the same strength. And, and I'm not meaning to, to downplay those guys. Tillman was huge in the Minnesota series, helped the Grizzlies get past them. And then heading into this series, he has not really been all that good. He did have a stretch there in game two where he was Yeah, he playing, played pretty good in game two. Like, like yeah. game two, he, you could see why he was in the lineup, why he was out there. But Jaron's done a fantastic – Jaron's averaging nine rebounds in this series. He had ten in game one, eight in game two, been doing a fantastic job rebounding the ball. But these guys are not Steven Adams. And so this team, the, this team be, being the Warriors, they're going to have to – work harder just sending those three guys steven adams is going to put a body on somebody and he's going to get himself in position to get some of these rebounds that some of these other guys are not going to get and the screen setting was another point that isaac made i hate watching brandon clark set screens that dude has never set a screen yeah in his (laughs) entire damn life not one. That foul in game two when Steph Curry flopped his butt off and they called a, uh, an offensive foul on Brandon Clark was the weakest crap I've ever seen in my life. If you get knocked down on a Brandon Clark screen, it's because you're drunk or you don't know how to move your feet because that was just Steph Curry falling. That's all that was. Brandon Clark, when he comes up to set a screen, he makes it look like he said more. It's a ghost screen every time. Yeah, a ghost screen every time. Ghost screen every time. He's slipping and he's cutting to the basket. Cut to the basket every time. Even Adams <laughs> is going to actually set a screen. He's going to body somebody. 
And Brandon Clark doesn't. I, I love him. He's been great throughout the playoffs. I love that we've seen the resurgence of, of Brandon Clark throughout this playoff run, but he, he's not a screen setter. No, he's not, man. He's, I would call it more of a show than, a, than an actual screen. Like, he yeah. just kind of <laughs> rolls to the basket, like, feels like yeah. he like brushes by the guy. But, no, he, he, he definitely – He's bringing the double team like, to job, yeah. man. That's all he's doing. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. but I, I, de- I definitely think that Steven Adams helps in that. I think that's big. I think it'll be big for John. I think that opens up the entire offense. Um, I, I just, it's going to be a welcome sight. I mean, I think, again, man, Warriors fans think it's a joke and thinks he's not going to have an impact. I, I just think that's a, a, a trump card that the, that the Grizzlies can go to. Um, and again, man, I, I just think having him back, I just think it, it means so much because, again, I think they're, you still bit out there, and again, he's going to put bodies on guys, and that even helps other guys get rebounds. Just his presence out there, so mm-hmm. I think it's going to have a have a big impact. I don't think it's going to be like what we saw against Minnesota, because again, they don't have a call Anthony Towns that he's having to worry about inside. I mean, Draymond and, and Looney and those guys—they're not scoring threats. Uh, but as you said, Golden State's been gang rebound. Andrew Wiggins has been a big time problem for them. Uh, was really yeah. a problem in in game two. Man, that two hand jam on Brandon Clark, man, he. He caught a body, man. That's two hands, man. Like most times, when people people get dumped on, it's a one hand, man. He dumped on him with the two hands, man. That yeah. that that was that was rough, man. But um, and again, I think Stephen Adams shuts a lot of that down. I don't think it's gonna be be as easy to score in the paint again. If Grizzlies could shore up offensive rebounding and, and scoring in the paint, get back to what they normally do, I, I think that's gonna be big, and I I think it's gonna be hard for the Warriors to beat them, especially if they're shooting eighteen percent from three. Like I don't think that's gonna continue. But I mean, the Grizzlies have been really good uh, from, from three compared to, I mean, they shot 36% overall in the Timberwolves series, and that was kind of a big issue going to the series. You were worried about the three-point shooting, and I think they tied them in one game and outshot them in two. Uh, so I think that's three games out of out of the six that they played uh, where, where they matched them or outshot them. I um, mean, the Timberwolves were the number one three-point shooting team in the NBA, and they've done a good job of, of outshooting the Warriors, too. And, and I don't think anybody thought, going into these two series that the Grizzlies would be out shooting both of those teams from three. Yeah. Just on the t- touch back on the Steven Adams point, I call me Switzerland on this one. I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. I do believe that, especially given the extreme pace that some of these games, especially game two, was played with on both ends of the floor, I think he might be a defensive liability. But I think especially – with Dylan Brooks being out, you absolutely need what he provides to you on, on offense. And so I don't think they'll have a choice but to play him. I think they can – even if he's not serviceable, I think they'll be, they'll still play him because his impact will be immense. Now, I don't know – it looks like in the regular season – the regular season is different, but it looks like in the regular season he averaged about seven rebounds. And against his team, you think he'd be able to eat more. So I don't know if he – if I don't, I don't know if it's – I know the long, longer rebounds, that's a factor – and so that plays into it. That's sort of gotten the Grizzlies. But maybe with Steven Adams being in position and the paint more, maybe other players will be able to get the longer rebounds. We'll see how it affects the overall, you know, theme of that. But I think his assisting and, and his facilitation of the offense will probably be the biggest boost. I also agree yeah. with you guys on screen assist. Though that will be big. Uh, I'll even elaborate even more on the screen assist being so important is because I have a feeling – and I could be wrong. Maybe the Warriors are just prideful. But I have a feeling that they're going to have to adjust the way they're defending Ja. They just can't continue to play him one-on-one. I think you got to – I mean, 
maybe they don't, maybe they're prideful, but whoever, but any other team I think will be trying to get the ball out of John Morant's hand. And I think real screens <laughs> by Steven Adams, especially will make a big difference against, against a team that's undersized. And so I think it'll sort of counter whatever offensive attack, whatever defensive attack they they'll make in order to, to prevent job from getting so many touches. We'll see. Uh, ultimately, I can see it going either way in terms of the Warriors' adjustment strategy without them having Gary Payton Jr. I mean, Gary, Gary Payton uh, the second. So we'll see. But I think he'll be big, one, again, on the screens, and two, the assist and the ability to facilitate the offense from the elbow will greatly help this team, I think. Hey, I, I, don't, I just don't think they have the personnel to, to, to stop Ja. I mean, Ja had Jordan yeah. Poole on, on Dancing with the Stars in the, in the fourth quarter. I mean, this guy dancing all over the place, fell the wrong way on that one play on that floater in the late. I mean, he was just doing whatever he wanted to do without Gary Payton. And, and I don't even think that. I mean, I, I think uh, when you look at defensive rating, Gary Payton was second worst on their team um, in, in, in defensive rating in the two games that he, in the, in the time that he played in game one and a little bit he played in game two. Yeah. Uh, I, I just don't think they have an answer for it. They were saying they hoped that they would get Andrew, on, Andre Iguodala back uh, for game three, but now they're saying he's going to be out for another week. And so I think they were thinking maybe we'll try that. Um, and, and Steve Kerr basically admitted after game one, that they have no answer for John Moran. He pretty much said it. Uh, and I think now with Gary Payton down, they really don't. So I don't know what their answer is for that. They can try, but I just don't think they have the, the length and the physicality to take him take him out of the game. I just don't know how they answer that. I think they got to try to counter somewhere else. I think they got the per- – I, I think you're right. that They don't have the personnel to do it, but I think they've got to try a double team at least. I mean, I – now, like I said, I don't think it'll be successful between just job being able to, to to split doubles, especially when they're undersized and Stephen Adams screens. I think the two it'll be over. I think we'll overcome that pretty easily, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if they attempted another strategy, because I think if you want to show that you're trying to win these games, you got to do something different. I think your, your best defender for John Morant since Peyton is going to be out has to be Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson, you know, he, he's coming back off of injury. He missed <laughs> a lot of basketball. I, I don't know that he is the defender Barbecue that he chicken, was man. once. Yep. You know, like he – through <laughs> their playoff, it, like their playoff runs and their previous championships, you could put Clay Thompson on the best offensive wing on the other team and be pretty comfortable with it. He doesn't have that anymore. No, he's not that guy right now. You you don't have – you know, when you look at what they're playing rotation, Jordan Poole is not a good defender. John Moran exposed him in game two. You saw what he was able to do. Otto Porter, love him to death. He is from pretty close to my hometown, but he has not been healthy. He's not the defender that he once was. And and when you look down at it, the the only guy that has length that would be helping – would be Wiggins, Wiggins or Jonathan Kuminga when he's on the floor. But how much can you play Jonathan Kuminga? That there's, we talked about this. I, I think all of us kind of mentioned it that this is a better matchup for the Grizzlies. We did not say the Grizzlies are going to win this series. All of us believe that the Grizzlies are going to win this series, but physically, this team, the Grizzlies, John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., have been able to get to their spots and do whatever they want to do because the Warriors don't have that matchup for them. The Timberwolves did. So even if the the Warriors make an adjustment to John Morant, what are they going to do against Jaron Jackson Jr.? And if you're bringing that length 
to try and double jaw or try and, you know, hedge or whatever you want to try to do to get the ball out of his hands. Who is that going to leave to guard Jaron Jackson Jr.? We saw what Jaron was able to do in game one. He put up 33 and 10. I think that Ja can easily be a facilitator. He showed that in the Timberwolves series. There were times when, when he was too passive in that series. We called him on that being too passive. But Ja Morant's fine being a facilitator. And with Jaron being able to get wherever he wants and do what he needs to do, that makes Ja even more deadly. Desmond Bain, they need him to be healthy. In yeah. game two, Desmond Bain was not himself. He was out there. He played 27 or 30 minutes. What he, he toughed I mean, it like, out. Like he played 32 minutes in that game. Desmond Bain shouldn't have played more than 15 minutes in that game. He was laboring the entire time that he was out there. I, I love to see his heart. I love to see the grit. But you could tell it. He His shots were coming up short. There were a number of things that he was doing on the floor where you could tell he is not healthy. He wasn't attacking, getting downhill the way that he has done all season long. And so you got this big layoff here in between game two and three that hopefully with the treatments, the vitamins that they're getting for uh, that Desmond Bain, hopefully that gets his back somewhere close to 100%. I don't expect that it's going to get to fully 100%, but with Dylan Brooks being out, you're going to need these guys to step up. And whatever their game plan is, I think the Grizzlies have the pieces because this matchup is so good for them that they can overcome whatever type of defensive strategy they're going to have to try and slow down John Moran. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think if they do somehow try to t- try to double Ja, I think that, that leaves it much easier for Bang because I have a feeling that Clay is going to be a part of that effort, like you mentioned. And if Clay is a part of that effort, that means somebody who's not Clay is guard Desmond Bain. And uh, Clay is good. Clay, though he has lost a step, and I think it's bo- both of them being sort of not themselves. They sort of kind of counseled each other out, I think, to some extent. But Bain having uh, more open opportunities, I think that uh, that really gets his offense going for sure. Yeah, because Bain had looks in that game. He just could, <clears throat> excuse me, just couldn't knock him down because you could right. you could just tell, man, he was laboring out there. He wasn't even close to himself. Taylor Jenkins said this afternoon that Bain looked good, so he practiced poorly today, and he expects him to be a go. Uh, that, that he looked good in, in practice today. So hopefully these these day, these days off, hopefully he got some treatment, man, and get that thing right because he's going to be big. Because they, if they're going to win this series, they're going to need. Desmond Bain to be Desmond Bain. I think that's a, the big question for this team right now is, is the health of Desmond Bain because if he's healthy, I, I still, I think this team has a really good shot. And you talk about uh, doubling jaw and kind of the advantages of this team. I think with Jared, Jared just has to get out of his own way because if Jared stays on the floor, he's going to have a big impact uh, on this team. We know the impact that he's going to have on the defensive end. And usually when he plays, he does, does well on the offensive end as well. Most of the time when he really struggles are games where he's in and out because of fouls. When he – you saw what we, what we saw in game six, uh, the closeout against the Timberwolves in game one in the Warriors series. When he's in, not getting fouls and engaged in a game, he's usually good on both ends. And I think having that just makes up for uh, a lot. John doesn't necessarily have to go for 47. If you got Jared, he was going to give you 15. I think that would be big uh, in this series. Jared's also been rebounding. Uh, which has kind of always been a knock on him. And if you add Steven Adams to that rebounding, I, I really do think that they can negate this offensive rebound advantage that the Golden State Warriors have. I think they can completely flip that narrative in, in game three. If Jerry can stay on the floor and you bring Steven Adams back in here, and I just think that's big because I think that's that's the real reason why Golden State, this series is 1-1. Uh, but if, if it wasn't for this offensive rebound, this would easily be 2-0. And I think the Grizzlies would win those games 
easily. Second chance points is what killed them. I mean, you get a rebound at the end of game one, and you win that game. Uh, they, they get that offensive rebound, and, and, and Clay ends up, when they had to jump ball, Clay ends up getting the three. That wouldn't have happened. All the Grizzlies had to do is get a rebound, and they probably go on to win that game. And I think if you had had Steven Adams in that game, I, I think I don't think that happened. Um, and I, I just think the second chance points has kind of been carrying them in the series. If you can get that cleaned up, I really like these matchups. I mean, we talked about that going into this series. And, and, a, and a lot of it wasn't, we weren't saying that the Timberwolves are a better team than the Warriors. But again, playoffs are all about matchups. And if you look at anybody that, that watched those six games against the Timberwolves, the four games in the regular season versus these two games against the Warriors, it, it's a night and day difference. The Grizzlies are able to do a lot of the things that they want to do in this series. And that's not saying that they're always going to come out with wins because you saw they lost game one. And that's not even to say they're going to win the series, even though I think they won it in seven. But they're able to, to get some things done that they want to do. And I, I just feel better uh, uh, about this matchup. I know Golden State's a better team than the Timberwolves. But again, I just think the Grizzlies have some advantages. And the question is going to be how do the Warriors try to negate those advantages? And I think some of them, I, I don't, I don't know what their answer is going to be to them. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think they have one. I don't think they, they – don't, they don't have an answer to Jaron Jackson Jr. They don't have an answer to John Morant. And if Desmond Bain is healthy, because I don't think he was that healthy at least it's uh, at least half of the game in game one. Desmond Bain is healthy. I don't really know if there's a real attack to be able to – you can contain him, but I don't think you can stop him. Uh, especially Desmond Bain on the road. Desmond Bain on the road is a lethal, lethal weapon. And so I'm excited to see how he how that plays out in game three as well. The chemistry between Bain and Adams has yes. just become – it's been great to watch throughout the season. And so that's another aspect that we've not got to see in this series that we're going to have in game three. How much is that going to be there? Is Adams going to be able to stay on the floor? Is Adams going to be winded? You know, did he test positive for COVID? He was out for protocols. We don't really know whenever they put him in protocols, unless somebody just flat out asks and we get a 100% answer, we're just left guessing. In this case, we're left guessing as, you know, it was it a, an exposure thing or whatever. But he it, can he stay out there? And is Bain's back going to be healthy? I think become the two biggest questions for game three. The Grizzlies have shown that they can play with this team. They're a John Morant layup away from being up 2-0 in this series. When everybody, you know, ESPN, all of their analysts, it was like 20, what, 20? 20 to nothing. 20 yeah. You know, they all picked the Warriors, you know, in six games, some of them less than six games. And I think a couple Both of them, them less than six. Thing. Yeah. So – there were not many people outside of Memphis that expected the Grizzlies to have a shot in this series. And the Grizzlies are playing with this team. This has been, I go back to the beginning of the show. We talked about the, it's terrible that we're not talking about the basketball in this series. This series has had uh, 15 lead changes and 16 ties in two games. It's been incredible. It's been a lot of back and forth. As a fan of either team, there's been a ton of up and ups and downs. The fourth quarter, you see John Morant, and when he scored the last 15 points in game two in order for the Grizzlies to bring home that win. It, it was just incredible to be there to watch the energy of that crowd just elevate as he, you know, he continues to make buckets and he gets to where he wants to go. And then you have one of the greatest players, you know, the greatest shooter, but you know, Steph Curry on the other side, just battling. 
and there was there was one play in particular. I don't know what happened. It was late in the fourth, but Steph Curry got left wide the heck open on a three. There was nobody yeah. within ten feet of him. on the left wing. Yeah, yeah, and it, it was a it was a it looked like maybe a communication thing. Mm-hmm. Because all the Grizzlies defenders were like from the free throw line to the right <laughs> side of the floor, and Curry was on it the was left. Crazy so, man, yeah, I, I couldn't believe how wide open he was. But but it's it's been fun to watch this back and forth, and and you see a lot of a lot of the narratives that I have seen in this series was kind of a, um, an old guard versus a new and up and coming. The Warriors came in riding on Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. And now they're close to the end of their run, and here come the Grizzlies. And I think that it's just crap that we have to talk about anything other than basketball in this series so far. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think it's definitely taken away from, from how great this series has been because, I mean, that's a, a great narrative. I mean, you have this team who, who's won championships, and they're just kind of trying to cling on uh, and, and possibly try to squeeze a little bit more juice out of that orange, which – and I think a, a lot of people, I, I saw somebody talk about this last night, and they're like, well, well the Grizzlies are, are, are kind of that team where they're almost there, but they're not going to quite get there this year. It's going to be a couple more years. And, and I don't think John Morant and these guys are hearing that. They feel like now is the time. Like, I, they don't want to be a, a upstart team. They feel like they can win a championship this year and start to start to start the ring chasing right now. Like, they don't feel like this is some honorary position that they should just be happy to be here in the semifinals. They're trying to win the whole damn thing, uh, and, and they're capable of it. Um, I think it, it's going to be hard uh, to, to beat the this Warriors team. It's not going to be easy. That's why I said Grizzlies in seven. I mean, you got to, to knock them out uh, because, I mean, they're trying. They're, those guys have, have been in these wars, and they're not going to give this up easy uh, because I think they know that this could be the last chance. If the Grizzlies knock them out, I, I, I think that ends their, their, their deal. Like, I don't know where they go from there. I mean, they have their guys pretty much locked up, so they probably – kind of run it back again next year, but mentally, I don't know. I think this would kind of take them out of that mentality. I don't I don't think you can look at them as really championship contenders anymore if the Grizzlies go on to win the series. So this is a big, and I think the Grizzlies know that in order for them to get the kind of respect that they want, they have to win a series like this. And you can go back to those ESPN predictions, 20 to nothing. I mean, and it's crazy because, I mean, this is the Grizzlies are the number two seed, home court advantage in this series, and you got 20 analysts that tick against them. And most of them, majority of them had uh, Warriors in five. Like, most of them weren't even six or seven. Like, that's just disrespectful. Like, how could you have watched this Grizzlies team all year and feel like that? I know the Warriors have the experience advantage, but I think a lot of people, even though this Warriors team is really, really good, there, there's no doubt about that. This is not the 2015 Warriors and those teams that won shift. This is not that. They're, they're really good, but this team can be beat. And, and again, man, I, I really do think especially if Desmond Bain is healthy to remain in this series, I, I think the Grizzlies are going to knock these guys out. I, I really do feel like that. I, I don't feel like this team is talking about waiting around for a couple of years to, to kind of make that move, man. They've been talking all year, and I do feel like they really believe that they can win a championship this year. And, I mean, that's half the battle. Um, and, and I think they have the talent to do it. Um, I think they have the, the, the coaching staff to do it, even though there have been some coaching blunders. I'm not going to like like Taylor Jenkins has been perfect in this, in this series, but, I mean, we've seen some great stuff and some adjustments that he's made that have worked. Um, and and I, I think they have a coaching staff and the talent to get it done. And it's just going to be fun, man. Hopefully we can move on from talking about these fouls again because this has been great basketball. As David said, a great story um, and, and two really closely matched teams. 
What's interesting to me is that the narrative, as you said, Isaac, the 20 and 0 with, with the ESPN analyst had the Warriors, but as closely as, as a series as this has been contested, if you listen to the national narrative now, it hadn't changed. Uh, the, the, despite the fact that the Grizzlies really should, in a lot of ways, be up 2 0. Up 2 0, yeah. Uh, they, they should be up 2 0. And the, the narrative hasn't changed in the sense of the Grizzlies are still the up and coming team and the Warriors are still. Uh, you know, they're, they're still going to pull this out. And it's interesting because if you listen to the national broadcast, which is the only option available now, shout out to Pete and Pete and Brevin Knight and Pete Franca. But, uh, but if you listen to the national broadcast, it's almost, it's almost framed that way because they seem to nitpick a lot of the mistakes that the Grizzlies make a lot. Those are always, those are always emphasized a little, the mistakes here and the mistakes there, but the, the Gold State Warriors have made a lot of mistakes themselves. They turn the ball over regularly. They, they've had defensive lapses regularly. They've not adjusted on the defense on John Morant, but you don't hear that on the national broadcast. All you hear is the nitpicking of what Memphis could do better. And I just find that interesting because uh, for, for the team that has home, I think they can get back home court advantage, but the team that came in this thing with home court advantage and the team that easily should be up 2-0, now, they don't seem to, to get much faith around the national broadcast, and that's exactly where the Memphis Grizzlies want to be. So I think it's playing out to to, to play in the favor of Memphis. Nobody believing in them is exactly what they want. Exactly what they want. Because Charles Barkley even said this. I'm sorry, David. Charles Barkley said after the game, uh, game two, he was talking about how sloppy the Grizzlies were right. and, and turned the basketball over. And you look at this stat sheet right here: Warriors 15 turnovers, Grizzlies 10. So how are you gonna? Right kind of talk about Grizzlies being a sloppier team. Like, I mean, they, it's just narratives. I mean, that's what it is. And, uh, again, man, in order for the Grizzlies to get their respect, they just have to take it. Some teams just get it <laughs> no matter what. But when, when it comes to a small market team like the Grizzlies, young team that, that hasn't been there, done that, man, it's like they just have to take it. And this team has been doing it all year. And, and I think they, they have an opportunity to do it here in, on even a bigger stage. The, the- – the sloppiness thing, it really got me because if you look at these first two games, the Warriors have made eight turnovers in the fourth quarter. The Grizzlies have made six. Six is too many. They, they need to take better care of the ball. But are you just going to turn your head to the fact that the, the Warriors have made more turnovers than the Grizzlies? And on top of that, you, you look at Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. John Morant has outscored them by himself. In fourth quarter scoring, John Morant has 29, and Clay Thompson and Steph Curry together have 21. Yep. So the 18 from John game two is almost enough to outscore Steph Curry and Clay Thompson in fourth quarter scoring. And let's not even talk you about know, free throw shooting. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's what's it's so wild to me because. You go back to that Timberwolves series and the game when Ja was just struggling in the first half, and then when it comes time, when when it's when it's crunch time, this dude turns into a machine at the free throw line. He just doesn't miss. You know, five for five in game two from the free throw line in the fourth quarter, and in game one, oh, I say that he don't miss. He missed one in game one. He was zero for one from the free throw line, but. It's almost like you see a shift in his mindset whenever it gets into the fourth quarter, leading up to the fourth quarter, it's like he's thinking about it too much. And then in the fourth quarter, he just goes up there and he shoots them and he knocks them down. So that the national media is going to push whatever narrative they want to push. 
And because all of them pick the Warriors, they're going to nitpick the Grizzlies and they're going to downplay the Grizzlies and what they're doing and what they've been able to bring to the table. It's, I think moving forward throughout the entire postseason run, if the Grizzlies go on to win this series, whoever they're matched up against in the Western Conference Final, which it, it looks like it will be Phoenix if they're up 2-0 right now, I, I don't see that series change, and I think Phoenix goes on to win that series. The Grizzlies will be underdog from here moving forward. So Western Conference Finals, if they get to the NBA Finals, they're going to be underdogs regardless of who comes out of the East because nobody outside of Memphis believes in this team. Yep. Yeah, definitely. And and just one more point. I Everybody seems to nitpick. I've heard it a lot. Just everybody nitpicking at the Grizzlies about the points in the paint just goes to that national narrative. Nobody has talked about the fact that they're other than I'll give Skip Bayless his credit. Nobody else has talked about. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> man, he's, he's been he's been Mr. Grizzly here the last few days, man. man. I don't want to hear it, man. <laughs> but, but nope, nobody else has talked about the fact that they're missing their number one offense. I mean, he led the league in offensive rebounds. They were number one in, in offensive rebounding because of Stephen Adams, and nobody wants to talk about that. Everybody just talks about, oh, how how are you guys getting out? How are you guys getting out? Our rebound, you guys are losing points to play. I mean, and nobody's nobody's talking about the obvious, and and that's that you know for the most part, Golden State has their guys, and, and Steven Adams is a key piece to this offense all year long, and he's not a factor. It, it hasn't been able to to this point in health and safety protocol. So it just, it just goes down to narrative, man. It's all the, the story is what they want the story to be, and uh, like I said, it, it actually I feel more comfortable for the Memphis Grizzlies in this kind of position because this is exactly where they where they shine. This is exactly where they thrive. We're in the same position last year. It was a one time. It was a one one and done game. But in the play in, nobody, absolutely nobody, believed that the Grizzlies would beat the Warriors, and they did. Monica and McNutt so, did. Monica McNutt. Monica yeah. McNutt Shout did. out. Shout, Shout out. out, Monica McNutt. Yeah. <laughs> Monica McNutt did, but nobody else did. And and I think that I think that the Memphis Grizzlies like being in this exact same position the following year. And I can't believe what we've got. I got to say this. I can't believe we got this far in, in, into this podcast and we got Mr. Free Throw, David Williams over here. Yeah. 20, 20 of 21 for 95.2%, <laughs> man. What what you think about that? And I had to break up the free throw. <laughs> hey, man, listen, I my buddy was right. He's like, man, you talk about free throws on every episode. Every episode. I'm like, man, listen, I know, but it matters. This time of year, it makes a difference. And they're oh, making sure. it when it counts. Like, flowers, I was David. scared to death <laughs> in the fourth quarter. Brandon Clark goes to the free throw line. Oh, yeah, yeah, man. I was, yeah, I was like, man, I you got to knock was, these out. It was tied, or the, the Grizzlies may yeah. have been down three at that point. Yeah, I was, yeah, they were down three. I remember that. And, that and Clark, he, you know, he, he was down. His, his free throw percentage was down this year, and he knocked both of them down. So, that, you know, like, I, I've had my moments, but I, I'm trying to reel it in a little bit. I was getting some crap about talking about free throws so much. So, Really happy to see the way that they are shooting the free throws right now. Yeah, Brandon Clark's been clutch. Even going back to yes. that Minnesota series, he's been knocking down his free throws. I think he had one game where he kind of struggled, but I think he had one where he was like something crazy, like eight eight. 10 to 10 or 8 to 8 or something like that, something crazy in one of those games that really helped him down the stretch. But to go back to something that you said about John Morant and how he hit the free throw line and how he just turns into something else in the fourth quarter, it's that superstar gene, man. You you go back to guys like Kobe and, and Michael Jordan. They weren't known as great three-point shooters, but let the game, let them be down by three with, with 10 seconds left and they got they need a three. They they shoot a three, it's going in. 
100 percent and that's kind of what Ja does, man. He he turns into something else to me that focuses just on a different level. And when he's in that mode, man, he knocks out all his free throws. He could be 0 of 8 early in the game, but if it gets down to the fourth quarter, he's on one of those one, one of those uh heaters. He's gonna knock out every one of those free throws. And that's kind of what we've seen. I just think it goes to that superstar gene. We've seen guys in the past like that when they do things that, like I said, Michael Jordan and Kobe weren't known as good three-point shooters, but game was on the line. They knock him down, and that's kind of what we've seen with Jock. Yeah, in my opinion, he's been the best player on the court. Uh, I think it's just shown in every game. I understand that the Warriors fans really think that Gary Payton Jr. just locked down John Morant, but his 34 points just seemed yeah, to, 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 seem to, <laughs> seem to beg to differ, man. They just, it just did. Uh, there's really been no answer for him, and I think that's shown. And I think it's a problem for the Golden State Warriors. They've got two players, not just John Moran, but Jaron Jackson Jr., that they do not have an answer for. And I understand that they have the experience and the championship pedigree. But if the Grizzlies can can hone down, lock down on some of those mistakes, a lot of their mistakes are are easily avoidable at this point. If they can just – if they can clean those things up, they can win this series easy. I mean, I don't even think it has to be close. I think that the, there were a lot of opportunities in game two for the Grizzlies to be up double digits, uh, whether it be transition opportunities. Like, I mean, I, it's one thing that comes to mind is a trans fast break opportunity. Kyle tries to throw a lot to John Moran and throws it way over his head. Yeah. It ends up being a turnover. There's a lot of opportunity, little things like that, that have just, you know, that they've just messed, messed up on that communication with Steph Curry, just leaving him 10 feet open for, for what knows for what knows reason, uh, things like that. If they can clean those things up, they've, they've gotten better from game one to game two. I saw a lot of uh, improvement from the defensive pers- uh, uh, standpoint. I saw uh, the transition, transition defense be a whole lot better. I think uh, they did sort of clean up some of those mistakes going in. They were able to sort of get the advantage back and fast break points. So just becoming a little bit more like themselves. Uh, with Steven Adams coming back, like we talked about, potentially getting those those rebounds back. I think that I think they're – I think they've got all the components, like you said, Isaac, that they need in order to beat this team. The question is, can they just can they can they grow up quickly? I think that's what it requires. That can they grow up quickly in those areas and those mistakes that they've made early on in the games? Can they can they lock down? Can they lock in? Can they can they avoid those? And if they can do that, this team just has the personnel to beat the Warriors outright. Not not a close one, but outright. Hey, quickly, have you did you guys see the Shams Geronio report of the, the Gary Payton injury? Where, where this dude, this dude said that that he'll be good to go for the finals. I'm like, man, you skipping a couple steps, like the finals. Like I'm like, you you, you got to get out of the semifinals first, man. I was like, I thought that was that was just kind of funny to me that he said he'd be good to go to the finals, like for the finals. Like I mean, yeah. like I, I, again, man, you got some work to do before you get there. Yeah, and that that is, you know, it just goes back to everybody, Memphis versus everybody, man. That that's exactly what it is. They they do not believe that Memphis has a chance to beat this team. Memphis was 11 games over 500 on the season on the road, and they beat them to get into the playoffs last year at Golden State. Yeah, Memphis they're not going to be intimidated at all. In a playoff atmosphere in Golden State. They, they've done it before. So I, I'm not concerned. I I said early on, Whatever happens throughout the playoffs for this team, I, I want to see them go as far as they can go. But this is hands down the best team that the Grizzlies have ever put on the floor. Top to bottom, 1-15, to 15, the Grizzlies have never put a team of this caliber on the floor because they've never had a player 
that played at the level that John Moran is playing at right now and as he has played throughout this entire season. So whatever happens moving forward, I'm happy with what this team has done this season. I want more than anything to send the Warriors home for number one, Draymond Green. I, I just love to send him packing, and it would be funny as heck to me for two years in a row, Iguodala refused to come to Memphis because he didn't want to play here. That same team that he refused to play with sent him home out of the playoffs two years in a row would be great. I mean, I poetic justice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, it's long series. Somebody's got to get the four first. One win does not end the series. Going into game three, I'd love to see Grizzlies go in here to game three and win it. Heck, I would love for the Grizzlies to have a shot on next Wednesday on the 11th to be closing the series out game five at the FedEx Forum. I don't know that that's likely, but it's not impossible. Man, it, it would be so big if they, they went in there and got game three on Saturday night, especially with without Dylan Brooks, because this is a game where I think most people expect the Warriors to come out with this explosion. It's their first game at home, and this is just kind of the game where the, the home team usually wins. But you kind of look at the start of the series, kind of people thought the Grizzlies would come out game one. I guess people in Memphis probably thought that they're going to come out and get a victory and go to state ends up stealing one. Because if you go in there and get, get game three, I mean, that really puts some pressure on – on uh, the the Warriors coming Monday uh, because they're looking at the situation and you up 2-1 if you're the Grizzlies. You lose that game on Monday and you're coming back to Memphis, like David said, with a possibility that you get closed out. Uh, so I think winning game three would be huge, especially to be able to do that with, without Dylan Brooks. You just kind of think if, if you're going to drop one, it's probably going to be game three and you'll win game four. But I don't think that's a foregone conclusion because I think even though this team is young, we talk about them being the third best road record in the NBA uh, they they went to went to Golden State and won a game a single elimination game last year. This team is not going to be intimidated uh, going on the road. You know, a lot of people would think a young team they they're gonna the crowd's gonna be into it. They're gonna get a tip. That that's not happening with this team. If the Warriors win, they just win, but it's not going to be because the, the Grizzlies are intimidated. Uh, but I think we've kind of talked about uh, this situation with the fouls and, and kind of how that taken away. But I do want to discuss it a little bit. I want to get your guys' thoughts on it. Because I seem to be an extreme minority with kind of my thoughts on the the Dylan Brooks foul. Uh, when, when I look at the situation, and, and, it, and it, the Grizzlies have been called a dirty team. Uh, Taylor Jenkins has discussed that. I mean, he was upset about it, and I I agree with him. This team is not a dirty basketball team, and I kind of hate that people are going around with that narrative because it's not that at all. And especially when it's coming from a team who employs the dirtiest basketball player in the NBA, and Draymond J- Jamel Green Senior. I mean, no, I, I don't, no I don't hypocrisy. know. Yeah, no I, I just don't, is real. yeah, I just don't understand how. I mean, it was a fan. I saw some tweets today, like, well, uh, look at that. Well, our, our, our fans, our team is not trash like that. Well, a dirty team. I'm like, seriously, dude, like, dude, like, I could bring up video after video of Draymond Green doing some foul stuff on, on the floor. And you really got to talk about the Grizzlies are dirty. But that's neither here nor there. I mean, the, the, the Dylan Brooks foul. You, you don't even have to go that far back. You can go to game one. Game one. Yeah. That's, what I, that's, what, the, that's the, what's so the crazy the about foul. it. Like, they're saying this. Game one. Like, one game, two games ago. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, Steve Kerr and that whole freaking Broke giant steaming pile of bullcrap conversation. We have a code in this league. 
bro if you don't shut your ass just shut the hell up man that is trash and you know it you didn't have a damn thing to say after game one when draymond green hit brandon clark in the face and then grabbed his jersey and pulled him to the floor no what happens is draymond green goes on tnt and gets to defend himself as to why oh it wasn't that bad i didn't pull his jersey it's just (laughs) natural gravity i don't think you understand bull Shit. And, I, and, and I was glad they weren't buying it. I was like, glad they weren't buying to... Charles and stuff. They weren't buying what he was saying. He was like, oh, yeah. oh, so you weren't trying to pull him down. Like anybody that watched that knew. And, and that's the difference to me. And that's what pissed Mark. me off so much about the Warriors fans saying this because if you look at the two situations, Dylan Brooks wasn't trying to injure Gary Payton. Like no, the, the situation with Draymond, he did that was he did that on purpose. He wasn't going for the basketball. He just straight up hit him in the head and neck and pulled him down. That's it. That's it. Dylan Brooks was going for the block and his arm came down and hit him in the head. It's unfortunate that he came down and broke his his bicep. His bicep, bicep that's what I'm saying. Is what hit him in the head. It's not like he came down with his hand on top of his head. Your your bicep is not what's hitting him. That's not what's going down. And Mark Giannato said it best, and then I'll let Candace, I'll let you go. I I keep talking over you. I apologize. Dylan Brooks is suspended only like the only reason that this is reversed and this is not a Draymond Green suspension versus uh, uh, a Dylan Brooks suspension is because Brandon Clark knows yeah. how to fall. Gary yeah. Payton did not do what he is taught to do. He tried to brace himself. That's what damaged his elbow. I hate it. I don't wish injury on anybody. If you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time, you know, when, when you know, the, the crap with Marcus Smart in Denver, when they were talking crazy to him, I don't stand for that crap. That's not the type of fan I am. There's people that I dislike. I I will never hate anybody on this Warriors team as much as I hate Carl Anthony Towns as a player, just so we're clear on that. But I will dislike a player during a series, during the season, but I never, ever am going to wish physical harm on anybody. The only reason that Dylan Brooks is serving the suspension is because Gary Payton does not know how to fall. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly what it comes down to. It's really unfortunate. Uh, All of it's unfortunate. The injury is unfortunate, but it is unfortunate that Dylan Brooks is punished for. If he hit him on the head, it'd be hard for for Dylan Brooks to cause a a elbow fracture. I mean, the two the two aren't even even near each other. Like you said, it just goes down to him not knowing how to fall. Uh, But I just wanted to touch touch on the point about the just some of the hypocrisy that goes on with the with pretty much the whole Warriors organization that I've noticed and. In instance with Brandon Clark, you're you're gonna claim that you're you're trying to hold him up. Hold you don't have up. to, have to grab somebody's jersey to hold them up. If you no. genuinely are trying to hold somebody up, you, you can just wrap them out your hand yeah. and try to hold them up. You don't need a jersey grab in order to hold somebody up. That's not how that works. <laughs> and when Draymond historically has tried to hold people up, he will grab them. He doesn't grab their jersey. He will hold them up with open with open pumps. He's done it with John Moran. He's done it. He's done it against this Grizzlies team trying to hold people up. That's not what that looks like for Draymond Green, but that's what he's going to sell to the media because he's a media guy. And so it's just unfortunate that that's become the national narrative. And, and Dylan Brooks has his quote-unquote reputation as a as a dirty player, even though, and maybe I'm mistaken, but has Dylan Brooks been ejected from another game in, in his professional career for for? I, I tried to look it up. I couldn't find anything because I, I was curious about that. Not that I'm aware. I, I can remember. No. And I know I, I Matt, Matt Barnes on the jump today, um, and I, I didn't watch much of it. I Like, I pretty much stopped watching that show because of Richard Jefferson. 
But Matt Barnes on the jump today, he said, he's like, Dylan Brooks is not a dirty player. He's yeah, like, this, no. this, this was a tough foul. This was a hard foul. It shouldn't have went down like that. And that's fine. Like, we, we can agree on that. This foul came out of frustration. I, there, there's no doubt in my mind that Dylan was frustrated when he made this foul. But he did not have any intention of hurting Gary Payton whenever he went no. to go after that ball. And if you go back and you watch that replay, and I've watched it a number of times, it never should have got to that point. Ja Morant nearly spun him around at the free throw line, and the referee didn't blow the whistle. That play Man, what, should have been blown dead. When Ja Morant grabbed his shoulder and nearly spun him, that play should have been blown dead. Dylan Brooks never chases him down to make that contact. And another thing that, that's making me mad about this whole situation is people are comparing this foul to what Grayson Allen done to Alex Caruso. Yeah, it is season. not the same thing, not even close to the same thing. Dude, nope. Grayson Allen hit him low. Yeah, he, he was it trying. Was, Grayson Allen was going after him. I mean, that, that, no that was about yeah. That that was a BS play. That was with intention of hurting somebody. Yeah, he he was just pissed off, but he just not. went after him, and this, that's all it was. It, it was a <laughs> stupid play. Dylan probably should not probably Dylan should not have done it, but this was not an intent to hurt somebody. And and for the media members, for the people that are saying that, it's just ignorance, man. I, I just hate it. I hate that the, the Grizzlies team. I mean, they're talking like the Grizzlies team, like they're the. Detroit Piston bad boys or something like this is just some dirty team. And I just hate that narrative because again, but was the play reckless? Yes. Um, I, like again, I mean, and, and I'm in the extreme minority. I would have probably call it a F one. And, and I, and I know the rules may say something different, but if I'm an official and I review a play in order to eject a guy, but for an F two, I'm got to look at that play and it's going to have to look intentional to me. Now, again, it was reckless as hell. There's no doubt about yeah, that. Yeah. But, to, but to me, I think what happened, when when John grabbed him, I think initially uh, GP two he was gonna go up to try to dunk it. Um, and when John grabbed him, I think he changed his mind and decided to lay it up. And I think Dylan was thinking that he was going up for the dunk, and he was reaching for the basketball. And again, the, the inside of his arm came down and caught his head. If if you were gonna take a guy out, either the top of his hand would have came down on his head or on his shoulder. You don't hit a guy with your bicep to hit him in the head. That's just not. What happened there? There was not a dirty play. Reckless, I'll give you that. And I would have mm-hmm. taken the F1. But I just, again, I mean, I, 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 people can disagree with me. Most people think it was a clear F2. A lot of people, even Grizzlies fans, say it was much worse than what Draymond did. And I just don't agree with that at all. I've looked at it a million times, and I just don't see the intent there. And I think with Draymond's, there was definitely intent there. And I think what, what happened with Draymond is like, he realized, oh, I'm on camera right now. This is in 4K. Uh, and everybody's seeing this, and then he want to pretend like he's trying to help the guy up. Uh, and people talk about, oh, well, well, his wasn't bad. He, you saw he tried to help him up, man. Don't give me that that BS. He was not trying to trying to help him up. And I mean, he's gonna go on TNT and try to sell this. And I mean, it's just crazy. I just hate that it's turned into the Grizzlies are this this dirty team, though. Physical, yeah, hell yeah. I mean, that's what what they play. They physical basketball. They're bigger than the Warriors, and and, and I I wanted them to beat them up going into the series, but I don't want to see anybody get hurt and definitely not anything dirty. And I don't think the Dylan play was dirty. Again, I go with reckless. I would go with flagrant one to deserve that, but I, I just don't think the, the dirty narrative, I just kind of hate that's what's come out of this. What's up guys. It's David. Before we go any further, I've got to take a couple moments here to tell you about our new partner at ethos Grizzlies, Ember and Valor. Ember and Valor specializes in beard care products. Let them take your beard to the next level with their easy two-step process. 
You get started with the beard oil to condition your skin and prevent the dreaded beard itch. You finish it off with Ember and Valor's Beard Balm to condition and shape your beard. Go over to emberandvalor.com right now and use promo code ETHOSGRIZ for 25% off. Let them get you the beard you've always wanted. Emberandvalor.com, E-M-B-E-R-A-N-D-V-A-L-O-R.com. Promo code Ethos Grizzlies for 25% off. I've got to run it by you one more time. I can't allow you to miss it. 25% off at emberandvalor.com right now using our promo code Ethos Grizz. That's E-T-H-O-S-G-R-I-Z-Z at emberandvalor.com for 25% off of all of their products. Ember and Valor makes all of their products using all natural ingredients. Get over there, check them out, use the promo code, let them know we sent you. You will not be disappointed. Emberandvalor.com. Look good, feel good. And you know what's interesting is if you go back and you look pre, pre-game two at the uh, – the, the pregame press conferences and remarks by Steve Kerr and even the players. Uh, they were talking about how physical they expected this game to be, the physical game plan, and that and they were they were going to be ready for that. And it just seemed like as soon as he got too physical, the Grizzlies are dirty. You know, I, I just it goes back to the hypocrisy that I just find with the, with the whole organization that it just continues to show itself. You know, you prepared for a physical game, you said, and when it gets physical and you don't like it, now, now, now! All of a sudden, the Grizz, the, the Grizz are a dirty team. You know, I, I just I don't think that's right, and and I and I and it's well, it's not right. I don't think it's not right. It's not correct, and it's not the right message to send. I don't think to your players even. If you're talking about you want to get punched in the mouth, and, and that's going to be your approach. I mean, that just that just babies the players. I mean, this is a physical team. They're not going to stop being physical. It's how they play, and it's interesting to me. Uh, Clay Thompson pre uh, game two he was asked about sort of the Memphis and, and their physicality. And he sort of implied that, you know, he played against a super physical team in 2015, you know, the grid and grind Grizzlies. And um, it, he basically, I sort of got, got the sense he was implying that they were much more physical, which they were than this team right here. And um, you, you would never know that with the way these Grizzlies respond, you would never know that they played the 2015 uh, Memphis Grizzlies. You just couldn't by the way they were acting to this type of stuff right now, man, that just, it, it, it makes me mad. It's, it's frustrating. And it, and it and it's frustrating mostly because nobody's going to come to the rescue of the Memphis Grizzlies and claim that they're not the dirt, that they're not dirty players just because Golden State's that team. They're that team that gets all the darling sort of media team, at least they have been up to this point. And for that reason, they won't have um, too many saviors standing up for them. But it's not right. And, and this team is far, like Taylor Dinkins said today after practice, this team is far from a dirty team. That's the, It's all about narrative. Yep. People talk about John ja Morant and him celebrating him dancing when his teammates are doing all this stuff. And they complain about that. But how many times have we seen Steph do the shimmy right. or do like that the the squat celebration that he does? And listen, I'm fine with all of that. However you want to celebrate, I, I like the trash talk. I, I like all of that. I'm fine with it. But you, you see this narrative being pushed with Memphis and it's, and it's pointing all, all Memphis, all Memphis, all Memphis, but you just turn a blind eye to, I just, I don't get that. I will never understand that. I guess, I guess I do understand where it's coming from, but like, why, 
why is it effective? Why are people actually buying into that? And I, you know, you believe whatever's on your TV or not, however you want to approach that. But th- this whole, the, the narrative, the stuff that the national media is pushing is just tired to me. It's lazy and tired and they can definitely do a better job. And I said it on Twitter the other day that I've never seen. I mean, a guy that we see Ja all the time covering this team and watching this team, and a guy that's as likable as he is, a guy that I think is going to be the face of the league here in a couple of years, or one of the faces of the league. And you see all this this hate on him just because he 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 does the gritty. Like I mean, you you see players celebrating all the time. Like I mean, you you, you just said it, Steph Curry. After every three, he's doing something. Like he's always celebrating. Nobody has any problem with that. But Trey Young does all kind of stuff in celebration. But when it comes to job, for some reason, he's not supposed to celebrate. Uh, and it's not like he's not out there backing backing this stuff up. I mean, he he's out there winning winning games, man. For the the, the only the third player under twenty three years old to have two forty plus point playoff performances. Not like he's on some crap team and he's out here celebrating. They're getting blown out. I mean, like I said, I, I don't have problems with guys celebrating, celebrating if they back it up. And it's just, it's like people just try to find something to hate on. Like, just enjoy the game of basketball. Why is that a, it's such an issue to you that, that he decides to, to do the gritty after win and, and, and talk? Man, again, like I said, man, when, when you're backing it up, man, I don't have any problem with, with guys, guys saying whatever they want to say. Uh, because, I mean, that's just the game. In, in sports, people are going to trash, talk trash, just like Steph Curry after game one. I think he's uh, Ja said he told him and Jared this is gonna be fun, and Ja went right back at him in game two and told him the same thing. Yeah, this is gonna be this is gonna be fun. Are you having fun now? That's what Ja told him at the game two. And I mean, I don't. That's fun. I mean, that's good for you to go back and forth like that. As long as it doesn't turn into anything else, man, I don't have any problem with it. I just don't understand why Ja's getting so much hate. Man, T's getting hate for man to say that he's just just saying too much and doing too much. Man, this man's just out there having a ball and, and enjoying his life. Man, let him support his son and, and live his life, man. It's just, I just don't understand, man. It's just like people fish for stuff to, to kind of get upset about, man. It, it's just tiring at times. Uh, I understand it. I actually, I actually do understand it. It goes back to uh, talking about Jai having the potential to be the face of this league. I think there's just some guys who have that it factor and that's just going to draw more hate. I mean, all the LeBron haters in the world, um, it just draws it in the small things. Um, people, people pick over LeBron on small things all the time. He's the face of the league. I think that's just sort of what comes with it. I don't think it's right, but I think it's sort of what comes with it. When in Memphis, we never had a player of the caliber to be a face of the league kind of player, and so I think um, it's it's sort of new and it's ridiculous. And but I think it's sort of comes with the territory. All in all, I think. The media still very much so regards John high, in, in high regard. I think a lot of people do. I just think there's going to be a large amount of haters, and the haters are always loud. Um, at the end of the day, he still had how many all-star votes <laughs> John had yeah. in order to become an all-star starter. And so the same thing with LeBron. I mean, how many all-star votes is he going to get despite the the loud haters just, you know, uh, anti-LeBron? I think it's the same type of thing. Um so it's new to to the Memphis community in particular, but I think that's just what comes with it. And Josh still hasn't earned. He's got a long way to go before he can become the face of the league. I think he's still got a couple of years and you know consistent winning and staying healthy. I think all of that factors into it. But Josh can easily be face of this league, and that's sort of the hate that comes with that. Man, is that so? What did this man tweet? Like, I bet you following him. How, how right. do you know he's tweeting? Right. I mean, that's the think about right. it. They, you only talk about, about that too. Getting out of his mentions, and you look at him like they they follow Josh. Like, I mean that. Just it's ridiculous, man. Like, like let this you over there tweeting like why like he's supposed to be inhuman 
or something just because he plays basketball, he can't tweet. I mean, get out of here, man. Yeah, it's yeah. small stuff, and yeah. that's how you know it's, it's just hate just for the sake of hating, man. It's, it's, not, yeah. a, it's not over every, anything serious. It never is. I mean, there's no real reason to hate John Morant, but because he's that guy, because he gets all the attention, he gets the social media notice, he gets the highlights, and then he's not on their team. It, that's just, it just, it's hate, finding reasons to hate. Success breeds haters. Like, it, right. it, it brings them, they're going to be there. You know, Candace mentioned LeBron. You can go back and you can look at, you know, like, you look at baseball, Barry Bonds, and how good he was, and how yeah. many people. Barry Bonds, that was semi self inflicted because let's be honest, Barry Bonds was a jerk to a lot of people. Right. But you know, like Kobe Bryant, Kobe Bryant was great. Ton of people right. hated him. Michael yep. Jordan, same way. You know, when you reach a certain level, there are just going to be people that hate on you just to be hating. Um, I. I there's a lot more that I'd really like to talk about, but we've already gone north of an hour, so I think we can go ahead and wrap this one up. Good two-game recap here. Again, the series is tied 1-1. Grizzlies won game two, 106 to 101 at home. Next game is Saturday in are they in Oakland, San Francisco? I don't even know. San Francisco now. It, it moves, yeah. but not that it matters. Grizz in six, sticking with it. <laughs> Appreciate you guys tuning in. You can get the show on Twitter at Ethos Grizzlies. I'm at David W2111. I'm going to throw it to you guys. And if you have something else you want to toss in there before we go, feel free. Yep, you guys can follow me on my new Twitter handle, CandaceH901. That's C-A-N-D-A-C-E-H-901. Isaac, close us out. Yeah, Grizzlies be back on the court for game three in San Francisco at the Chase Center. I think that's a 7.30 tip, uh, ABC on Saturday night, man. If if anything, we need to do three days off. Uh, weird as that is, and in the middle of a playoff series, to get three days off. I think the Grizzlies definitely needed. Um, again, Taylor Jenkins said this afternoon that Desmond Bain did go through practice non-contact. I don't know if it was everybody did non-contact or it was just only him specifically because of his back, but he said it, that Desmond Bain said he felt great. So hopefully that's not just speaking, because you know he's a warrior. I mean, he's going to tough it out. He's going to say that regardless. But hopefully that's a true statement and that he is really feeling better. Um, looks like you might have Steven Adams back. Again, I think that's going to have a, a, a impact in the series. See how that plays out. But again, man, we'll be back on Saturday night with the post game. And you can find me on Twitter at Isaac for Rivals. Make sure you go over to Etito Grizzlies. Give us a like and a follow. We appreciate that. Uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Until Saturday night, we go. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.